Yeah, see, you're catching on. You're going to learn some Hebrew tonight, as I have learned a lot in these last few months. Okay, my glasses were on the top of my head. Joy, don't laugh. Okay. And I say, Erev uh, Tov, which means uh, good evening in Hebrew, and happy Passover. I need to get my phlegm going. Because I'm telling you, there's a lot of words that I need a little bit of. Ha, ha, Yes. Like Pesach, which is Passover. Happy Passover. Welcome. Each of you has a Haggadah in front of you. It says Yeshua, which is Jesus in Hebrew. And we are going to, there will be no um, overhead because everybody has a Haggadah. That's what we will follow along with. That's what we do at a Seder. So a Passover Seder, for those of you who are not aware of what that is, it's also referred to as the Feast of Freedom. It's a celebration commemorating how God almost 3,000 years ago delivered the Israelites from the bondage of slavery. In Exodus 12, 12 and 13, it says, On that same night I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I, I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood... I will pass over you. No destruction, no destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. So the first Passover ever celebrated, well, commemorated, I should say observed is the right word, because they weren't really celebrating on that first Passover, was by the Israelites according to God's command in Exodus 12. And it was held on the night before they left Egypt. So for generations, Jewish families have continued to celebrate in accordance to God's command. And it says in Exodus 12, 14, So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. So God specified that they hold this feast annually on the evening of the 14th of Nisan, which is the first month of the Jewish calendar. And he didn't want them to forget what he had done for them. He also told them to use this feast to teach their children. And it's fitting that in, a, in this type of setting that you, he would use that. And I'll explain later as, as why. And so it also represents the beginning of a relationship with God. Because this was a starting point for the future nation of Israel. As we learn from our Bible study that we've been going through the wilderness and we came out of, uh, out of um, uh, Egypt, we've learned that he drew them out of Egypt so that he can take them from bondage and slavery and bring them into their own land. So it's sort of a birth date for Israel at this point, and that's why it's important you understand that the first month of the Jewish calendar started then. Um, just as we remember, pretty much most of us remember the day we accepted Christ as a birth date. It's the same thing. I, I have to laugh because it, um, you might be saying to yourself, well, as Christians, you know, why should we celebrate Passover? Why are we doing something like this? And I have to laugh because my favorite story of Passover is when my um, second oldest, Cody, I'm naming him. I asked him if I could use him tonight. But he was about eight years old, and we hadn't really um, exposed the boys to, um, excuse me, I'm having mic issues. We hadn't really exposed the boys to my dad's side of the family, and let me explain this. I am half Italian. I have a quarter Russian and a quarter Polish. My father is Jewish. My mother was Italian Catholic growing up, and um, she uh, accepted Christ um, when I was in my teenage years. And my dad has yet to get to that point, but we are continuing to pray that he will receive his Messiah. But I grew up very, I mean, if anybody saw the movie Risen, um, in the very beginning scenes, the Romans and the, and the Jews are fighting. That's me. 
I'm, I'm like, you know, that's the two sides of me, you know? So I laughed. I told my husband, see, that's why I'm schizophrenic. So, um, but we had this, both sides of our family, we would celebrate. I learned, we had lots of cultural things. And so my, my parents were divorced when I was young. And my dad, we really didn't celebrate. Um, when I got married, we didn't really celebrate Passover at that point. But when I was growing up, we did with my grandmother and so forth. So my, my uh, son, Cody, his first experience with Passover, with a Seder, he sat at the table, and we're going through the, you know, steps. And my son goes, and I'm like, yeah, he kind of didn't say it. You know, kids, they think they whisper. And he's like, but mom, we're Christians. Because they're talking about the Jews. And I said, uh-huh, Jesus was a Jew. He goes, he was? <laughs> And he was shocked, and the whole table was kind of like, some of them were laughing, and some of them were like, okay, you know. <laughs> so I use that story because as Christians, we, we tend to forget Jesus was a Jew. And, you know, we should celebrate not just because we're not Jewish. We're Christians, and we have received that. But as Christians, we're not bound by this command that God has given us because the Old Testament Mosaic law that Jeshua, Jesus, our excuse me, I'm going to mess up the words tonight. Uh, Mashiach, is that right? Thank you. Our Messiah. He superseded and fulfilled the law. So we're not bound by it. But we should know our Jewish roots because in order to know your faith, you need to know the depth of the faith. So this is, this is all good for you to understand. And it also says in Colossians 2, 16 and 17, let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or of a new moon or a Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substances of Christ. So we know that Christ came and fulfilled this, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more. In um, Psalm 78, 5 through 8, I have it marked off. It's not in your Haggadah, so I'm just going to read, read it to you. It says, For he established a testimony in Jacob and an appointed law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come may know them, the children who would be born, that they, would, <clears throat> that they may arise and declare them to their children, that they may set their hope and not forget the works of God, but keep the commandments and may not be like their fathers and stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not set its heart aright and whose spirit was not faithful to God. So as we, as we go into this feast... And understanding that God intended it for, for us to use it as a, as a tool, as a teaching lesson, but also to honor him. Um, it's important for us to understand what that part, portion of it, I should say. So the, And it's important for us to understand the significance of the Passover because as we learned in the tabernacle study, that God's plans and purpose were, they were pre-thought out. They were... They were, um, he, he had appointed times for everything. And so in Hebrew, the word for feast is modiam, which literally means appointed times. The Jewish prophet uh, Amos records that God declared that he would do nothing without first revealing it to his servants, the prophets. So from the old covenant to the new, from Genesis to Revelation, God provides us a picture and it, of his entire plan for mankind. And one of the most startling prophetic pictures is outlined in the Jewish feasts in Leviticus 23. It says in Leviticus 1, uh, 23, 1 and 2, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them the feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. Am I saying that word right? <laughs> These are my feasts. The word convocation in Hebrew is Mikra, and it, which it means a rehearsal. 
So convocation is a rehearsal. So we're talking about appointed times in a rehearsal. Passover is the first of the seven main Jewish feasts, and each one of these feasts is a rehearsal for what was to come, and every single one of them point to Jesus. The first four feasts are in the spring, clearly revealed, and it, it clearly reveals Jesus' identity and why he came. The prophetic purpose of the first four feasts have been fulfilled. We, and if you're not aware of that, Pastor Rick did a really good teaching on all of the feasts, and it is on podcast on our website. Um, however, the last three feasts, which happened in the fall, are a picture of what is to come and Jesus' return. So many know that Passover is the, f- many may not know, I should say, Passover is the first full form of the Last Supper. So when Jesus was having the Last Supper with his disciples, they were celebrating and having a Seder. I don't know that it's quite what we do today, but it was. And before Jesus was to be portrayed, he broke bread, unleavened bread, with his disciples at Passover feast. And at this Last Supper, he mentions a portion of the feast, which we're going to talk about tonight, that he would not partake in that part at the Last Supper. And it's very meaningful. We need to know. It's an op- Passover and this feast is an opportunity for us to celebrate with our broader view of God's plan and to remember that we have been forgiven. We have been set free. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5, 7 through 8, get rid of the old yeast so that it may be, excuse me, so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are meaning he sees you as you really are in Christ. So for, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival not with old leavened bread and malice and wi- wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So leaven or yeast represents sin. And before Passover, chametz is the name for, for yeast or leavened is removed from the home. They take it all out to prepare. So before we begin, this is what I want us to do, because we are temples for the Holy Spirit. Let's begin by asking the Lord to remove any sin that's in our homes, in this temple that we dwell in. So Father God, we just come before you, Lord, and we ask you, Lord God, and we confess right now, Lord God, that we, Father, sin every day, And, Lord God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you, Lord, and we ask you, Lord God, for forgiveness today for the things we know of and we do not know of, Lord. And we bless your name, Lord God, that you take out all those sins and you forgive us right where we're at right now, Lord. Thank you in Jesus' name. And it's my prayer that we personally tonight, that we really reflect with the sincerity and truth. We... We go through the symbolism and the meaning, but we really need to understand that we have been made free. Just like those Israelites were stuck in that desert, in that, you know, bondage, we have been set free. So I really would like you to take each step. Every time we're talking about something, just reflect on it personally. So let's begin. So if we were in Jerusalem, you'd hear a big shofar which is a big horn, and I do not have one, and I could make that noise. I could go, you know, something like that. Let's just say that was it. So Seder means the order of service. That's all that word means, and that's what um, we're looking at our Haggadah, which means the telling, the book containing the passages of the Exodus and recited at the Passover Seder. The reading of the Haggadah is based on the verse, you shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came forth out of Egypt. So everybody's going to have their Haggadah and they're going to follow along. Your personal Seder Seder dish that is in front of you, we did that for time's sake. Usually you would have a Seder dish that looks something like this. They look, there's different ones. This is Shelly's. She allowed me to a borrow. We have a few um, women here who grew up and and s- celebrated Passover in their homes, and she gave, allowed me to. This one, I'm holding it upside down. Sorry. 
says uh, has it says egg, shank bone, all the things that are supposed to be in there tell you where to put it. I think that, and usually that's what you'd see. Some of them are really cool, like you know they've got all kinds of cool designs. It's pretty neat how they make them all individual. Someday I'm going to get my own. I actually don't have one yet. So uh, the egg at the top is the betsa. It's fake because we weren't going to make boil a bunch of eggs <laughs> that really, you know, may not get eaten. But we just normally you'd see a roasted. It had to be really roasted because it represents the roasted lamb that was slaughtered at the temple. And since there's no more temple and sacrifice, because they would roast that lamb at the temple, they would use an egg. So that was in place of the roasted lamb at the temple. And it's also been said to represent our sin. Chickens lay eggs every day, and we sin every day. So it's a good representation, right? Karpas is represented by the parsley that's on your plate. And that represents new beginnings, life created and sustained by the Almighty God. And then we have maror, which is the bitter herb, the horseradish that's on your right. I'm looking at mine thinking, is it in the same order? And this is in remembrance of the bitter conditions of slavery. And then we have the haroset, which is, um, represents the mortar used by the Jewish slaves. It is to remember the hard labor. And then we have the hazret, which is the inedible herb, and it's a picture that represents the atrocity of Pharaoh's decree to kill all the Jewish-born Jewish baby boys and the harsh conditions of slavery. And we have the Zoroah, which is also a picture of a uh, lamb, roasted lamb shank bone, and it re represents the sacrificed lamb's blood put above the doorpost so that death would pass over that house. The salt water that's in the, in the middle recalls, re recalls the sweat and tears of the Jewish slaves. So only three of these on your plate were commanded by God in the Bible. The others were added later on by rabbis. And it's interesting because as, as while I was studying, preparing for this, I had about 15 Haggadahs, and I did so much research trying to figure out, first of all, how to take a full Seder and condense it for you girls and really have that meaning still. So I, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I prayed and asked the Lord um, what was important to him. And I looked to see that in every single Haggadah that I had from different messianic temples, some were, um, you know, from uh, Shabbat, from Beth Shalom. I, I had all different ones from different seders I'd been to and so forth. And every single one of them was different. <laughs> so I definitely needed the Holy Spirit. So, and it just is a good point that the rabbis from old, they would add things, and it kind of goes along with what, um, even in the Bible, it says that, um, that they knew the authority of Jesus because he was speaking truth, and the rabbis would add and take away, and it was confusing for people. So, Jesus was, was he, he was stood firm on the scriptures, and he didn't add or take away from those. So they knew the difference when they would hear him. And it says in the Bible that he spoke with authority. It also, they basically were saying that they could count on what he was saying. So the matzah bread, which is this, it's unleavened bread. In Deuteronomy 16.3, it says, Do not eat um, bread made from yeast, but for seven days eat unleavened bread, the bread of affliction which you left Egypt in haste, so that all the days of your life you may remember the time of your departure from Egypt. So they left before the bread had a chance to rise. And so this is a remembrance of that. It had to leave in, in a hurry. The cup of juice that you all are going to um, get in just a minute, you're going to pour at your table. Actually, you can start doing that now as I'm talking. The cup of juice is, normally you'd have four cups in front of you. Some people do one, but the tradition is four. And you'd have, uh, you'd, but we're going to have one, and we're going to drink from it four times. So don't, if you, if you, the first time we drink from it, don't down it, okay? <laughs> and it is grape juice or cran grape, 
either one. I'm not sure what's on your table. And these represent the four promises that God gave the Israelites in Exodus 6, 6 through 7. So the first cup that we're going to drink is sanctification. I will bring you out of Egypt to sanctify you and set you apart. The second cup represents judgment, or also known as the plagues. I will free you from those. The third cup represents redemption. I will redeem you. And in the Last Supper in Matthew 26, 28, uh, we're going to go through that and talk about redemption in the third cup. And the fourth cup represents praise, restoration. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. So Elijah's cup, which we don't have on the table, um, speaks of the future and the coming Messiah. Elijah has already come. See, as Christians, we understand that he was, John the Baptist is who he was. And our Mashiach, uh, Yeshua, has already come. And see, in the Jewish tradition, they knew that the Messiah would, they expected the Messiah to come at a Passover feast. So they would put out this cup for Elijah so that he, when he arrived, he would also have a seat. They always left a seat open. I had to laugh when Cody would say, but there's nobody there, Mom. Because we, we kept on referring to Elijah's seat, you know, as we were doing our Passover. And so Elijah has already come in, the, in John the Baptist, and we already have our Messiah. So we don't have that representation, but we're going to do something a little different later on. I'm going to give you a disclaimer before we start the first step. I studied for this. I, um, I am not a rabbi. Normally, you'd have the head of household that would do it. I have uh, had a couple of seders at my house where I, was, I had to do it because my husband was more comfortable with me doing it. But I'm one of the, you know, it's God uses the foolish things. to. to <laughs> I'm just giving you a disclaimer. Um, but I do want you to know that in preparation for this, I said to the Lord, um, is there anything else that I, I need to do, Lord? Do, did I forget something? And he said, you need to get a blessing from Pastor Rick. Because he is head of our house. So we have been blessed by Pastor. I have been blessed, to, to, and the Lord is, you know, going to give you. I've, I've been appointed by the Lord and by Pastor, I should say. So, But I'm going to do the best I can. I will not be singing the Jewish songs. <laughs> I did learn the blessings. And I want to tell you, when I say the, the blessing in, in Hebrew, on your uh, Haggadah, you have it in English. So when I say it in Hebrew, then you will say it after me in English. So the first thing we would do is we, on step one, we would light the candles. But we're in lieu of candles. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to bring great illumination to us personally in the meaning of Passover. So Holy Spirit, we ask you to light this room Holy Spirit, we ask you to come and with your power enlighten us and under, help us to understand this true meaning and what it means to us personally, Father God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Okay, we're going to read Exodus um, 6, 6 and 7. Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of Egyptian, the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with the great judgments. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So God revealed his plan to save his people, and he wants us never to forget that he has given us freedom, and at this point we should relax and recline. So I brought my pillow. It's, it's traditional. And I will now put on my prayer shawl. Okay. So um, we're going to say a blessing. Baruch atah Adonai Elohino Meloki Alaham Shiak Yano Vik Yano Vig Vig Yano Lazma Hazed. 
Blessed, and everybody says, Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe, who has kept us alive and sustained us and brought us to this day. Now we're going to take our first cup, our first sip, Kaddish, our sanctification cup. This, this is to sanctify, as, as we said, that it, it was the Lord that brought them out to sanctify them. He set them apart, and he has done the same for you. We recall how God set them apart and his own special people. We are his own special people. We remember how he brought us out. And right now we bless the Lord and I say, Baruch atah Adonai Elohim Malachi Alaham Borei Pari Hagafen. And you say, Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. And we take a sip. Mm. Thank you, Father. Now, on step three, we would normally have a bowl with a uh, towel, and the bowl would be passed around to do it different at every Seder, and you would it'd be a ceremonial washing. Normally, you would do this, and as you know, at the Last Supper, Jesus actually took it out of order. They had finished dinner, and he washed their feet. So in that spirit, in the, and we look to his example, each one of you has a handy wipe at your table. I want you to find a partner, and you are going to turn to each other, and you are going to, as Jesus humbled himself for his disciples, you are going to wash one another's hands as a sign of humility and, uti- and unity. And I will read from John. It says, do you know that I have done for you? Do you you know what I've done for you? So when he had washed their feet, taken taken off his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, you call me teacher and Lord, and you say it well, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So we do that and wash each other's hands. And you just have, I just want you to know that as you do it, you do it with love for your sister. And just be thankful we're not doing feet tonight. That's all I'm saying, because I don't do feet. If Jesus told me to do feet, I would do feet. Okay. So we go to step four, which is the carpas, the parsley that is on your plate. And you see the little parsley. This is a symbol of the new beginning and growth. We will dip this. Um, parsley in the in the salt water, which represents what does it represent? Everybody, the bitter tears. Okay, because we remember before the tears of Israel that rose up to God's ear, and this and we dip it twice. The first time for that, and the second time we do it because they he heard their cry and he took them through the salty Red Sea. So we dip twice in just a second. It's okay. You can dip it. It's. I mean, God's not going to strike you. <laughs> Psalm 56, 8 says, You keep track of all my sorrows, Lord. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. So the Bible says that God holds each one of your tears, and he has brought beauty and growth from them. So, Lord God, we thank you, Father God, that, Lord, in our tears, Lord God, that you bring beauty from those, those tears. And we do this in remembrance of what you have done for us personally. And in Matthew 26, 20, it says, And when the evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. Not Now they were eating. And he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And there was exceedingly sorrow. And each of them began to say, Lord, is it I? And he answered and said, He who dips his hand with me in this dish will betray me. So this would be as they were dipping. And I say in... in um, in the Hebrew blessing is Baruch Adonai Elohim Melakia Laham Bore Pari 
Hadama. And we say, Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the earth. And we dip twice. You can, and then you nibble on it. Mm -hmm. It cleans the palate? Yes, it does. Then we get to step five, and it's the four questions. So remember that this feast was to teach their children, and they had these four questions so that the kids would participate. In some uh, satyrs, uh, they would label the children, the wise one. What's the other three? The innocent one. The foolish one. I forgot the fourth one. But they'd label them. Not every, every satyr is the same. I know what you're saying over there. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so in Exodus 12, 26 and 27, when your children ask, what do you mean when we do this ceremony? The first question is, why on all other nights we eat matzah, we eat bread or matzah, while on this night we only eat matzah? And number two, why on all other nights we eat all kinds of vegetables and herbs, but on this night we have to eat bitter herbs? And number three is why on, on all other nights we don't dip our vegetables in salt water, but on this night we dip them twice? And then number four is, why on other, all other nights we eat while sitting upright, but on this night we eat reclining? So those are the four questions, and we're going to go through them. So the first one is about matzah and what you have on your plates. Uh, there's a plate in the, in the middle, and it says, and which we, in Hebrew it's uh, uh, yahatz. So yeah, yeah, how do I say that? Yeah, yahatz, yeah, I think it's it. i got to get the phlegm going. I have salty... Um, Parsley in my mouth now. When Pharaoh finally ordered the Jews to get out of Egypt after the tenth plague, there were there were in such a hurry to get away from slavery that they hadn't time to let their dough rise and bake their bread. Thus, they took the raw dough with them on their journey and baked it in the into hard crackers in the hot desert called matzah. Thus, we only eat matzah on this day to remind us of their struggles. The three pizza pieces of matzah that, um, and thank you, Marilyn, for allowing us to use your matzah tosh. I said it right. Usually, you'd have a bag like this at your Seder, and there's three compartments. And we have, I've already put the matzah in there. There's three pieces of matzah in, in, and one in each compartment. They represent unity. They represent, in, in the Jewish tradition, it's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But for us, it's the Father, the Son, and the... Thank you. And so the matzah itself is a picture of our Messiah, Jesus, as you can see on it right here. I was like, where did it go? Um, you can see that it's bruised and it's pierced, as it says in Isaiah. There are stripes for his, for by his stripes we are healed. Now you have to remember this was before they, you know, Jesus. So a lot of these things point to him. They don't, and it was to also to help them to recognize their Mashiach, but they don't. Still to this day, there's many that, and as it says in the Bible, that their eyes will be opened. They will understand. Their eyes will be open. We, and we pray for that to happen soon. So the matzah itself is a picture of our Messiah. As you can see, it seems to be bruised. And we take out the middle matzah out of the bag. You don't have to do this, but just get a piece of matzah yourself. And this would represent Jesus. And we break it. And one of these pieces we call the afikimen. Now you would normally, which afikimen in Greek means the coming one, which they didn't know that at the time either. 
another one that points to Jesus. And we would wrap this up, and we would put it away. We would hide it away. They would wrap it up in a, in a cloth. Now, what does that represent? What does that rec- I mean, does that remind you of something? So as we wrap it up, and it would be put away. And it, it almost was, it was also, um, what I read was, it was also to keep the kids engaged because... <laughs> Because they would hide it away, and the kids would be, okay, is it time yet? Because they get little prizes when it's time to go look for it. So I read it was, it was, they don't know why it started, you know, again. A lot of these things were added and subtracted. But So we take out that matzah, we break it, we call the ha- the, that half a fikaman. According to the Jewish tradition, the Messiah will come at the Passover to bring redemption, that is why the Elijah's cup is empty and the seat, that seat is, is, is no longer needed, right? And so they already pointed to that coming within this feast. And right now we, we will partake of some of this, the other half of the matzah, not the one that would be wrapped up and hidden, but we take a piece and we say, Baruch atah Adonai, Elohim Malachi Alaham, Homotse Lechem Men Hararas, and that is, Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the Universe, who brings forth breath, bread. Yes, thank you. So you you can, t- and I know you guys are hungry, so you may eat some of this. <laughs> I'm trying to get through it. So the, and then um, we're going to take some of the maror, which is a horseradish. You can take the top off. Okay. So the second question is answered. Maror or the bitter herbs are eaten to remind us of the bitterness of slavery and harsh and cruel ways in which Jewish people were treated as slaves under the, under the Pharaoh in Egypt. And even in this, we, we uh, have a blessing. We will put a little bit on your cracker. I happen to love horseradish. Some people do not. I have to tell you, the same son that talked about Jesus... Um, Surprised that Jesus was a Jew, Cody went to a Seder with his girlfriend on Saturday and refused to eat the horseradish because he said, I'm a Christian. I don't have to. (laughs) I love that kid. (laughs) So, Baruch atah Adonai Elohim Malachi Alaham Asher Kidshanu Bimitzvotaf Vivat Savano Al Halalat Maror. Thank you. I probably brutalized that. I don't know, but hopefully nobody knew. And I didn't say a bad word. (laughs) Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his word and commands us to eat the bitter herbs. Shall we partake? Mm. I told you I like horseradish. So number three question, the karpas and the haroset. So the parsley represents new life and spring, while salt water represents tears of of the Hebrew slaves and how harsh the Jewish slaves worked in Egypt. The parsley dipped in salt water, this represents new life that emerged from the tears and the hardship of the Jewish slaves, bitter herbs dipped in, in the haroset represents the... So I just want to explain something, because we already dipped twice. We dipped the parsley twice in the, bitter, in the uh, tears. Some Jewish traditions say that you dip the parsley in the tears. Some of them dip them in the or first, and then you dip them in the horseradish. There's... There's several ways of doing this, but the whole point of this is to understand that there was the bitterness of slavery, and they do it twice as representative of that. It's almost like in the Bible where it says, truly, truly. It's to really get you to understand that it really was hard, and you're really free. So the, the uh, heroset, which is a, it looks like an apple sauce kind of or apple mixture, which it is, Thank you, Darla, for making that. It's representative of the mortar of Egypt and represents the hard labor. We remember that we were slaves 
And we are saved by grace and not by works. This is a good time to let go of any bondage in your life. So one thing I will say is, is as we partake in this, if any one of you feels that you've been striving or you have something that's going on in your life, I want you to take that opportunity now to remember that we are not saved by works. We are saved by grace, and you are released from bondage. And so right now we pray. Lord God, we thank you, Lord, that you saved us from bondage. That, Lord, we are not bound by it, and we don't have to work for it, Father. You, You worked for us. You did it for us, Lord. So, Lord God, as we partake in this, if anybody here has something that's just weighing them down in bondage, Lord God, we pray right now for freedom in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. So brings us to the fourth question. So, and we're going to partake in this in a little bit, so just hold on to that. So the fourth question is leaning on a pillow signifies the comfort of freedom. As slaves, our ancestors had little comforts. Thus, we lean on a pillow to assert that we are now free. We can, we can sit. We, we don't have to sit up straight and be on the go. We don't have to dash out the door, right? So therefore, this point, everybody just relax and have a good time. Now we're going to tell the story of Passover. And as you relax, just listen. Even you just imagine as you're sitting there, I'm going to sit down and relax too. As you're listening to the story of Passover, I want you to imagine that you're there. I want you to imagine, and also, I want you to remember what God brought you out of. And just this, this moment being significant for you and taking this in personally. Now, normally in a, in a, a Seder, it would be not just a leader doing this, we would kind of go around the table and everybody would have a part, but for time restraints, we are doing it this way. So in Exodus, if you have your Bible, or if you have your phone handy, if you want to read along, you can do that. I encourage you just to just take it in. So in Exodus 12... One, it says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, Let him him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of persons, according to each each man's need. You shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goat. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. And then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the house where you eat. Where they eat. Excuse me. The lintel of the house where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on the night, roasted in the fire, with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat it raw, nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in a fire, its head with its legs and and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain, none of it remain. That's important to remember that part, until morning. And what remains of it until morning you shall burn with the fire. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, so that you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass th- through the land of Egypt on, the, on that night, excuse me, guys, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, 
and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses, for whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day that there shall be a holy convocation, and on the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation. <coughs> convocation, excuse me, for you. No manner of work shall be done on them, but that which everyone must eat, that only may be prepared by you. So you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on the same day I will have brought your enemies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month, at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven shall be found in your houses, since whoever eats that leaven, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a stranger or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwellings, and you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourself according to your families, and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and uh, strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through this <clears throat> to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. And you shall observe the thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. It will come to pass when you come in that you shall keep the service. And it shall be, and it shall be when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? That you shall say, It is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel and Egypt, when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people bowed their heads and worshipped, and then the children of Israel went out and, <clears throat> and did so, just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn livestock. So Pharaoh rose in the night. He and all his servants and all the Egyptians, there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. Then he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise, go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Also take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. I thought that was interesting. And the Egyptians urged the people that they might send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we shall, be, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, having their kneading bowls bound up in their clothes on their shoulders. Now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, and they had asked from the Egyptians articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they granted them what they requested. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. Then the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot. That one must have been an amazing sight. Besides children. So that's not even counting the children. A mixed multitude went up with them also, and the flocks and herds, and a great deal of livestock. And they baked unleavened cakes of dough, which they had brought out of Egypt, 
and for it was not leaven. Because they were driven out of Egypt and could not wait, nor they had prepared provisions for themselves. Now the Sonyer, excuse me. I'm going to sneeze. <laughs> I think too much har- horseradish. <laughs> the Sonyer, excuse me. <laughs> Sonyer of the children of Israel who had lived in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end, and of the 430 years, at the very same day, it came to pass all the armies of the the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. Can I ask somebody to get me a glass of water? Because I'm really like, between the salt water and the, uh, sorry, I'm either going to sneeze or cough. I don't know which one. So it it is a night of solemn observance to the Lord for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. This is that night of the Lord, a solemn observance for all the children of Israel throughout their generations. I got through it. So that was the story. Thank you so much. Mm. So now we go to the step seven. The cup of judgment plagues. I will free you. Now, we're not going to drink it right away. But the list of plagues, the the blood, the frogs, we would go through that in a normal service. They would go through it. And lice, beasts, cattle disease, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and death of the firstborn. So God was doing more than just pressuring Pharaoh at this point. Because each one of these plagues was against the Egyptian gods. Like, for instance, the, I thought it was interesting because the blood in the Nile was against their Egyptian god, Kunam, the god of the river. And I guess Kunam had a wife named Hikik, or what, I don't know how to say it correctly. I couldn't find the pronunciation, but the frog goddess. And so each one of these was against that. But what was really interesting to me is the month of Nisan was the same month they celebrated Amon, which happened to have a sheep's head thought this was interesting. So a lamb's head for a god. And on the 14th day, which would have been a full moon, they believed the 14th day, or the full moon, was the most powerful day for Amon, their god. So for basically sacrificing a lamb and saving their firstborn by that, they were, God was kind of saying, this is a slap in the face to you. You think these are gods? I'll show you a god. I thought that was interesting. So in Psalm 89, 14, it says, Righteous and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. So we take a moment to remember that judgment came upon Egypt and God saved all of their firstborn sons. We thank him that that judgment for our sins does not come upon us, but was laid upon the shoulders of his firstborn son, Yeshua Mashiach, and we thank him for his sacrifice. Now, normally you'd have dinner at this time, but we're going to go right through so we can get to dinner. And so step nine is the lamb bone, the Zoroah, the Passover lamb. The Hebrew word Zoroah means arm. And in, um, in Psalm 98.1, it says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things by his right hand and his holy arm have gained him the victory, his Zoroah. It's by his hand. That he, that basically, that we are free from his, because, because of what he did. The roasted shank bone, which is a picture on your plate, um, represents a lamb whose blood marked the houses of the, of the children of Israel. And we understand Yeshua is referred to in the Bible many times as the arm or the strength of God by which God's used to save us. In John 12, 38, it says, And that the word of Isaiah the prophet might, might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord has been revealed. So in 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19, it says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your aimless conduct, received by tradition from your fathers, but that with you, with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and spot. Excuse me. 
We understand that the Passover feast was a picture of our Passover lamb, Jesus. But I think we don't really understand, too, is that there were so many other signs. And we're, it's actually funny because we're, we're finding out more and more. The Lord said that things would be revealed in the last days. And more and more evidence is coming. And what they found just recently, um, it was a few years ago, was they found flock towers. And what they called, um, in, in Hebrew, it's Miguel Eder. And it refers to in Micah, actually, that you, it says in Micah 5.2, but you, Bethlehem, though you are a little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. And in Micah 4.8, it actually says, and you, Miguel Eder, or the flock, the tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, to you shall come, even in the form of dominion shall come, the kingdom of the daughter of, of Jerusalem. So it was already pointing them and understanding that the, the Messiah was going to come out of Bethlehem. And they have found that the temple lambs were uh, bred and cared for in Bethlehem. And in Bethlehem, they found these towers. And I thought it was interesting because um, there's a couple books I read on this that said that th that watchtower was, it wasn't for that, it was for those temple lambs. And they would bring, they would take the little lambs when they were born and they would wrap them in uh, priestly clothing. And they would wrap them and bring them into a manger. So what is that the picture? I mean, we, we see that, again, again, another proof that Jesus came from Bethlehem. He was born in Bethlehem, I should say. And he was wrapped in swaddling clothing. And I think it's significant that he was wrapped in, in priestly clothing as a prophetic picture for us. So um, the blood upon the house represented salvation, and it's applied to us as the death passes over us. It has no sting. It has no sting. It has no sting. We are saved by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. So right now, we just thank the Lord for the blood that is applied upon us. And then step 10, there's this little ditty that would go along with this. Marilyn asked me if I was singing this song. I said, no. Although I will say it, it's, it's kind of cute. It's a little catchy. It's die, die, anu, die, die, anu. That's how you say die, anu, which means it would have been sufficient or it would have been enough. And we're all going to say, you're going to say die, anu, after I say, how great is God's goodness to us for each of his acts of mercy and kindness we declare. If the Lord had merely rescued us, but had not judged the Egyptians? If he had only destroyed their gods, but had not parted the sea? If he had only drowned our enemies, but had not fed us with manna? If he had only led us through the desert, but not, had not given us the Sabbath? If he had only given us the Torah, but not the land of Israel? So it would have been enough. It would have been enough had he done even just one of those things, but he didn't do one. He did all of it and more. And right now we take the cup, which represents judgment, as also known as the cup of plagues, and, and he said, I will free you. We lift our cup. Baruch atah Adonai Elohinon Malachi Alaham Borei Peri Agafen Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. And we thank you that we were saved from that by the blood of Jesus. Let me take a sip. Now we get to the fecalman. We're going to kind of quickly go through that. We're, we're running a little late. Um, which means the coming one. And normally at this time, you would take the fecalman, you would take the uh, hair set, and you will put it and make it a little sandwich, you could, and you put a little horseradish on it. I encourage you to do that while I'm talking. You can go ahead and do that. I'm going to say the prayer. Um, 
It's also important to understand that when Jesus said, this is my body which is given for you, do this in memory of me, this is, would be the time that he would do this. So what, we, what you don't know is you've been celebrating Passover every month when you do communion. Because this would have been the step where he said he took the bread and he broke it off. So Baruch atah Adonai Elohinu Meliki Alaham Hamotze Lechem Min Haraz. Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the Universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And then step twelve is the cup of redemption. I will redeem you. This cup symbolizes the blood of the Passover Lamb, and just as the blood brought salvation, Jesus' life was poured out for us. Jesus took this third cup, and this would also be what we would. Um, take part in, in in communion. And he said in, in Matthew 26, 28, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remissions of sin. And we say, Baruch atah Adonai Elohinu Malachi Alaham Barei Pariah HaGafen. Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. And we take our third sip. And we remember the life that was poured out for us. so that we may have eternal life in heaven. And step 13 is Elijah's cup. I went through that already. But what I want you to see is there's a door open in the back of the room, and we leave the door open for the second coming. Amen. So we were waiting for Jesus to return, and that as as we, as a messianic um, uh, uh, Seder, you would do the door instead of the cup or the table or the, the chair open. Now we come to my favorite part, the Hallel. So Hallel, if you say hallelujah, Hallel is praise. And you're saying a Jewish word. Did you not know that? Hallelujah means praise God. So we're right now, um, the Hallel, the fourth cup, the cup of praise, it says, I will, he said, I will take you as my people and I will pour you out for, to be your God. Hallel means that. In this fourth cup of restoration, Jesus did not partake in this. And one of the things he said is, I will not partake in this until, it says in Matthew 26, 29, but I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink anew with you in my Father's kingdom. This was symbolic of, of something that was in Jewish tradition, and I thought this was really awesome. What a Jewish lad would do, propose marriage to a woman, his prospective bride, and he would offer her a cup of wine. And if she drank it, she was accepting the proposal. So that would be representative of the third cup that we just drank. So you've, and as we've received Christ, we've received that proposal. Then he would inform her that he was going to go to his father's house and prepare a place for her. And she would say, in her response, when are you coming back? And the young man would say, only my father knows. Hmm. So does this sound familiar? Mm -hmm. So Jesus said he went to go prepare a place for us. The third cup of redemption, the one we we partake of in communion, is symbolic of this cup of um, of, of marriage or proposal. Tradition states that when the young man would come back for his fiance, the father would tell him it was time, and only then when he would retrieve his bride. So after seven days together, they would have a feast and ceremonially drink a cup of consummation. So the fourth cup represents that last cup to be drank, and Jesus said he wouldn't drink it, because, and he didn't say why, but it was because he won't drink it until he comes back. And he will drink it at the marriage feast. Remember, ladies, we are the bride of Christ. And Jesus returns for his bride, the church. And we will sit down at the marriage feast. And it says in Revelation 19, 6 through 9, And then I heard again that sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of of, of a mighty ocean waves or the crash of loud thunder. 
Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice, and let us give honor to him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and his bride has been has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. For the white, fine white linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, write this, bless Bless are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, These are true words that come from God. We say, Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. I want you to get rowdy now, okay? I am serious. Take a drink. Even though we're... Symbolically, we're supposed to at the Seder, but we don't have to until Jesus comes. Psalm 150, 1 through 6, it says, Praise the Every time I say stop, you're going to say hallelujah. This is the hallel part. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his holy heaven. Hallelujah. Praise him for his mighty works. Praise his unequaled greatness. Hallelujah. Praise him with a blast of the ram's horn. Praise him with a lyre and the harp. Hallelujah. Praise him with the tambourine and dancing. Praise him with strings and flutes. Hallelujah. Praise him with a clash of cymbals. Praise him with loud clanging cymbals. Hallelujah. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Now we get to the part where it says, and next year in Jerusalem, they would say at the end of the feast, next year in Jerusalem, because for so long the Jewish people were not in Jerusalem, but they now have their land back. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And someday they will have more of what was promised to them. Mm-hmm. And it says, In Revelation 21, 1 through 3, Now I say, a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Now we say instead of next year in Jerusalem, we say next year in the new Jerusalem, Lashana Habana be ir Yushalayim, and we stand. Everybody stand. And we say next year in, in the, the new, new Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Amen. Amen.